we talk about greed, we talk about lack of regulation or poor regulation, we talk about people over-borrowing, buying houses that had no reason buying houses. Uh, but, but doesn't it offend your sensibility, I guess, that, that all this bailout has to come from the private, the public sector at this moment in time? Hi, and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. Ignore the music. We are still in a financial crisis. Yeah, maybe even a recession. Hi, Laura Conaway. Hi. Today's Tuesday, October 21st. It's about 4.29 p.m. here in New York City, and we've got a great show today, including what Adam calls the most embarrassing question he ever asked a billionaire and the billionaire's answer. Well, now it's time, Laura, for the planet money indicators. Uh, the TED spread has has really continued to fall. This is what we've been hoping to see. Uh, this is our, our main indicator these days, the measure of how money is moving through the global economy from bank to bank, how nervous the global economy is. It is down well below 3, 2.74 today. That's a more than 8% fall uh, from yesterday. Um, We always go every day now to Tradition Asia Securities. They're our friends on the front lines of the credit crisis. We usually go to Will Aston Reese or Tom Corona. Both of them are out right now, but John Chirico has very generously picked up their baton. Hey, John. Hi. How are you guys? Good, good. So we check with you guys, Tradition Asia, every day. You are where... You are this credit crisis. I mean, you are right on the front lines. Normally, in normal times, banks will use you guys to borrow and lend billions of dollars every day for the last since September 15th basically it's been completely frozen no lending at all on Friday we were hearing rumors of some other trading desks beginning to see a thaw in this credit freeze yesterday i think you guys moved a, a few hundred million not not a huge amount for you certainly a huge amount for me but not for you and and so john how how did today go is the Ice continuing to thaw? Yeah, well, actually, uh, we've seen, uh, you know, from what we look at it as another step, hopefully, in the corrective phase. And hopefully this will continue. The the Fed uh, basically today uh, announced a plan where they're going to create a new facility to ease the stress, you know, the continued stress in the short-term debt market. Uh, You know, they'll provide funds uh, to be used in an effort. Uh, controlled by the private sector just to purchase, you know, all types of money market instruments, uh, you know, to, to help relieve some of the stress in the money market industry in general. With LIBOR opened up around, uh, three-month LIBOR opened up around 3.83. Uh, projected three-month LIBOR tomorrow uh, is closer to the 3, you know, 50, 355 range. Uh, you know, and we've seen some money invested today uh, from, you know, one month in the one-month sector out to the six-month sector. And, you know, to me, that's another uh, positive step uh, of getting this market, you know, to some sort of, you know, normal normal state. Uh, you know, we still have a long way to go, uh, but we did see, you know, potentially upwards of, you know, a billion or, or better invested uh, predominantly was three, I'd say three months, four months. So that's a big deal. Months, six that's... months. So, yeah, it was a definite, you know, a hope, a definite hope, a definite uh, step in the right direction, I think, for all of us, seeing some, some interbank lending as, and some natural 
buyers come into the market as well, uh, with both CDs, uh, Yankee CD buying, both and deposit lenders. Wow. Well, that's that's great news, John. Uh, but but not back to where we were before September fifteenth. No, no, correct. That's uh, I still think it's a work in progress. It's going to take a little time, uh, and hopefully, you know, the continued measures by the Fed uh, is going to help ease this process. Uh, you know, uh, they continue to try to you know pump liquidity back into the system and do whatever it you know takes. So uh, we're all hoping here that that's going to be the case going forward. You know, as we gradually get back to some sort of normal consistency in the market. Great. John Chirico, uh, a trader with Tradition Asian Securities, talking to him. He's in lower Manhattan, really on the front lines of the credit crisis, although these front lines happen to be like a nice office with a comfortable chair in front of a bunch of computer screens. But still, he is right where this crisis is happening. John, thanks so much. Okay, thank you. Take care. And he was talking about that Fed uh, move this morning. I just wanted to talk about that real quick because I think that's the biggest development of the day. This is something we've heard a lot about on Planet Money. Uh, our buddies Will and and Tom down there have been calling for this for a long time. You have these money market funds. You and I talked about this yesterday on the podcast. Yeah, they were saying that no one wants to buy this commercial paper, the, the short-term overnight big IOUs because they don't think they can turn around and sell them if they need to. Right. If you're a money market mutual fund, which is basically like a fancy high earning savings account, you need to be ready to give people money if they ask for their money. And and the fear is that you'll lend a billion dollars to another bank, get this IOU in return. But tomorrow, some of your customers say, hey, I want my money. And you can't sell that IOU because nobody else wants to lend money to banks because it's too risky. So now the Federal Reserve has said, hey, don't worry. If you can't sell it, we'll take care of it. We'll make sure that we'll buy it for you, basically. It's more complicated than that, but that's the basic idea. It's what Tom and Will have been calling for. Um, on the blog, I pointed out that Will is a little troubled with some of the details, but but it seems to be, from what John has just been telling us, that it has had at least the beginning of the desired effect. I think it's interesting because the Federal Reserve earlier came in and said, we will now offer commercial paper. We will now make the loans, if need be, to, to businesses who can't get them. Now they're also saying, we'll buy them back up. Yes, this today is yet another massive expansion of the role of the Federal Reserve uh, and the, the central bank of the U.S. And this today's announcement, if it just plopped down in the middle of a normal time, you know, three years ago or something, it would be like the biggest news of the century, in at least in central banking terms. But it would be huge transformation of the role of the central bank in the U.S. economy. Of course, every day for the last few weeks, we've been having massive transformations of the role of the central bank. So this is just one more step. It's a subtle one. It's one that very few people will notice. But this is really important. This means that basically the U.S., the Federal Reserve is absorbing the risk of our financial system. For everybody on all sides of these investments. Exactly. You know, I've actually started dreaming about the economy that is disturbing. Yeah, it's, I think it does kind of get to you. I got a listener question today about something that's in the news, and I just flat couldn't answer it. The question comes from Eli Naduris Weissman of Washington, D.C. I've been hearing a lot about these ideas of auctions um, being used to deal with the financial crisis. Um, I, I heard about the auctions for the 
the Lehman credit default swap. And I'm just wondering, what are these auctions? How do they work? Um, how do you determine values from an auction? And are we going to be hearing a lot about this? Is this a good thing? Just want to understand. Eli, I am so with you. I want to know exactly what these auctions are. Yeah, I feel like I've heard the word auction more in the last few weeks than at any point in my life. So we called my friend Hampton Finer. I went to Stuyvesant High School with him, but he's now grown up and is the deputy superintendent of the New York State Department of Insurance. Hey, Hampton. How are you doing, Adam? All right. How are you? Great. Great. Well, you've become a real expert in credit default swaps, and we actually have an extended conversation with you that we're going to play later this week. But I wanted to um, sneak in under the gun because I thought Eli's question was a great one and wanted you to help us understand. So, um, so when we hear about an auction in the financial market setting, I mean, should we be picturing like a big hall and there's a guy with a gavel and there's a bunch of people with like – Things with numbers on them, holding them up, saying, "I'll take it at three million. I'll take it at four million." There, there, there's, an, there's an electronic version of that. Uh, absolutely, um, there are buyers and sellers, and um, they uh, bid uh, certain amounts that they're willing to pay and uh, ask certain amounts that they're willing to accept. And there's a, an electronic uh, system and a computer program that matches up those bids and works out uh, what we call in, in economics a, a market clearing price. And uh, real bonds are being sold uh, at these auctions. So it, it's not – everyone's not in one place. They're in their office typing All over things. the world. It, yeah. The auction itself actually takes place in London. I'm not sure exactly why, but it takes place in London. Could anyone take part or do you have to have a special license? No. I mean, you have to be part of um, – you could take part through your dealer, certainly, but only uh, dealers are allowed to participate. But there may be lots of hedge funds and other investors that are participating through their dealers. And there's one going on today for Lehman Brothers? No. The Lehman one took place last week. The next one will be for WAMU, for Washington Mutual. But the auction itself took place last week. Today, uh, the trades settle for Lehman CDS. Last week, they set the prices. Today, the money changes hands. Okay, so last week, the the buyers bid for whatever they wanted to pay. The people who had them agreed to accept that price. It came in at something like, on average, something like eight, eight cents on the dollar or something really low. Right? About eight and a half cents on the dollar. That's correct. Right. So today, they're actually trading hands. Right. Now, today, they actually pay. So people who sold protection will have to uh, give about 91, a little more than 91 cents on the dollar, 91 and a half cents on the dollar to people who, who bought protection. And in exchange, uh, well, that will be the terms of the exchange um, for cash-settled um, CDSs. So, so if... If I happen to buy a bond from Lehman Brothers and, and I own it and it's like a $100 bond and I got a little nervous maybe a year ago that Lehman Brothers might go out of business, I might have called you, Hampton, and said, hey, I want to buy protection, which is basically almost like a form of insurance. And I would say to you, I'm going to give you a couple bucks a year and then you get to keep that couple bucks. But if Lehman defaults, if they go bankrupt or – um, and my bond is suddenly worth a lot less or nothing, you have promised to make me whole, to give well, me... Well, I promised to give you that $100, and you've in return promised to give me the bond. Right. Of course, when Lehman defaults, the bond is going to be worth a lot less than the $100 I'm going to give you. Right. So, so, And that's basically where we are now. The, the only question is, we knew 
we knew the bonds were worth less than $100, but we didn't know how much less. Exactly. I mean, you needed to have a reliable mechanism for price discovery and to determine what the true value of those bonds were. Interestingly, going into the auction, there were people that thought those bonds might be worth a little bit more, like 12 cents instead of eight. And can I just ask a dumb question? I mean, if a company goes bankrupt, why would their bonds have any value? Well, you know, they have assets, and there's going to be some degree of recovery. I mean, they weren't utterly um, without assets. It was just, you know, a bankruptcy means you don't have enough resources to to pay your current uh, debts. But there certainly are assets in the company. They have a building in Midtown. They had a lot of you know, big portfolio of other assets. They had companies that they're able to sell. So there's going to be some recovery value to the enterprise. And the bondholders, the senior bondholders, are the first people to get that money. I see. And, and we don't know what that recovery is yet. We don't know what they're going to sell the building for or whatever. And so basically the auction allows, you know, you hear this phrase, the wisdom of the crowd. It basically allows the global investor class to place bets on how much value they think these things are going to be worth. Absolutely. I mean, there's a very liquid market in Lehman's debt, even though they're no longer in a position to pay principal and interest, because once the enterprise is liquidated, there'll presumably be some recovery. So whoever so this auction simulated, that marketplace. Got you. So whoever paid eight and a half cents or nine cents, presumably they believe that these bonds one day will be worth more than that, and whoever sold it believes they won't be, and but that's the price where th- those two sides kind of met. Exactly. And there is a very explicit market clearing mechanism that makes sure that all the people that want the bonds can buy them and all the people that want to sell them can sell them at whatever the, the auction price is. So Eli's final question was, we're hearing all about, about all these auctions. Are they a good thing? I'm getting the strong sense from you. Yes, these are a good thing. I think that they're the best way, or at least a very effective way, um, of discovering what the actual price ought to be um, without a lot of the um, imperfections that might exist in um, the larger bond market. It's this very, it's kind of a laboratory for price discovery that's been very effective. There's been 14, uh, I believe, of these auctions so far in, in, in to settle CDS. Since this crisis began? No, no, forever. Ever, Okay. Very right. few, there, are, there are very few default events, and the auction process is relatively new. Thanks, Eli Naduris-Weissman, for asking that impossible question, and Hampton Finer for answering. I'm starting to get it. Adam, could you just lighten this thing up a little bit? Yeah, let's lighten things up. And by the way, I think Planet Money, we try and make everything clear in one step, but some of these things like the CDS, it's, a, it's so complicated – Stick with it. You're going to get it. Okay. If this stuff is seeping into your, you know, in, into your brain. Yes, and, clearly. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, this is complicated stuff. We have a crisis that is complicated, and we're doing our best to make it clear. Sometimes it's easier than other times. Mike Pesca, you know, sits right next. He actually sits between us. Yes. Poor guy, since yep. we're yelling at each other all day. In a friendly <laughs> way. We're just calling out to each other all day. And yes. there's Mike Pesca in the middle. He's NPR's sports reporter and our good friend. And he has been... Tr- trying to get me on the phone with this guy for for weeks. He's he's obsessed with this guy because he really straddles the world of sports and finance. Yeah? Who? who? All right. I'm embarrassed to say it. I hadn't heard of him. Okay. Is that horrible? Mark Cuban. I've heard of him. You've heard of him? Yeah. I've heard the name. I didn't really know who he was. He's the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. He also owns HDNet, the cable network. He made 
billions of dollars, literally. I think Mike said $2.8 billion at last count from Broadcast.com. And he also has this pretty awesome blog, blogmaverick.com and, and some other blogs that he's associated with. So Pesca and I called him to see what he has to say about the financial crisis. So, Mark, I wanted to, before we get into the various topics, um, this might be like the most embarrassing question I've ever asked, but I've... I, you are the third billionaire I've talked to, and here's what I want to ask. I mean, for me, when I look at my stock portfolio, that I mean, that's going to determine how I, what kind of life I have, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm young enough that it's okay, but my parents, you know, it means it changes their retirement picture. When you're sort of in the world where you're going to have a good life no matter what happens, mm-hmm. and you're, you know, you sound happy that you, which is, to- I totally get it. I'm big believer in in market incentives and all of that you know you're glad that you you made smart choices that got you more money i bet you'd be upset if you lost money but is it what is it at that point when it doesn't actually affect you anymore is it just keeping score is it an intellectual yeah, you know i'm a very very competitive person so money's a a unique way to keep score but i i got to tell you i think a lot of people that get financially to my level try to define themselves by their bank accounts and you know don't you know who I am because of how much money I have and you know I'm the exact opposite I you know I I look at myself as the luckiest guy in the world and I just try to have fun and and you know the money definitely facilitates that um and so you know I I I I had fun before I have more fun now but I guess the question is there's not if you lost half a billion dollars there's still nothing that you couldn't do because of that I assume I mean you could do whatever you want at your yeah, current level right. and yeah. I mean look I'm not going to be limited by by my finances and the choices I make you know I mean I'm not going to buy a, a a fleet of 5767s you know there are limits I guess but yeah. you know and in, in within a normal day-to-day life there's there's nothing that I'm going to be limited by and and you know look there's other people just all you have to do is look at the financial markets these days you know Aubrey McClendon who had to sell all his shares in, in Chesapeake there are people who have been wiped out and so you know the the flip side of all this is that you can't get greedy you can't you know want more and more and more because you know if you're just squeezing for for the next basis point or squeezing for the next dollars and and you take on leverage and those types of things you put yourself at risk and you know there's just no reason to risk to risk everything to get anything more I want to get to Blog Maverick, which is your blog, and normally it's just about whatever's going on in the world or occurring to you. Mm-hmm. Lately, it's been all about economics, which is a reflection of the national mood. Uh, you have a lot of interesting proposals on Blog Maverick. Let's go over a couple of them. Sure. One was th- there's this issue of mark-to-market accounting, which, I, I mean, maybe Adam could uh, define it a little bit easier. I th- as I understand it is these banks have these assets, and no one really knows what they're worth, so the government says, hey, put a price tag on it, and they do. But no one really knows if that price tag is accurate. They're kind of guessing. So you had a solution for this, which was what? Well, I mean, the market is all about transparency. And, you know, we should – if you don't have enough information as a CFO of a bank or or a controller of a bank, well, just publish the data because the market – you know, the people are in the, around the market will give you data, enough data to make a decision. And so, you know, my, my suggestion was based off of the fact that banks are going to need bailed out and, and need capital infusions, rather than just leaving it to business as usual, if you're, you're taking taxpayer money, you should be publishing all the data about all the assets you have. And, you know, 
by making that data transparent, you'll, you'll be in a better position to determine the, the market valuations of, of what you own. And not only that, you'll be in a better position to possibly sell it at a better price than you might otherwise be able to get. And I guess the banks would say, well, wait a second, Mark, that, that's our proprietary information. We don't want to reveal all the secrets we have on our, you know, the investments we have, what exposure we have. Some if, of the- if we have Boo Radley chained up in our financial dungeon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. right. And I would say that's fine, but don't take taxpayer money and you're on your own. Right. And then you're going to collapse. Another, yeah. another yeah. interesting idea is something called ETFs, which are, they're sort of like stocks. They trade on the market, but they're a collection of uh, like a closed-end fund, which is- Well, actually, they're not, they're not closed-end, but right. that, that's the key differential. You know, what I suggested was if the government is going to be buying these assets, any assets, um, they're obviously having to take money from the Treasury and either print it or borrow it um, through Treasury bills, et cetera, and then give that money to, to banks and, and others who own these non-performing assets. Well, once they've purchased whatever it is they're going to buy at whatever price they're going to buy it at, then it goes into that government abyss that we never know anything more about. And I think that's going to create big problems. And even if it makes money for them, like everybody's suggesting, we'll never really know because it goes into the general treasury and, you know, who keeps track of anything once it gets to that point. And what I suggested was to say, look, you can identify the assets that you're going to buy, whether they're homes, condos, mortgages, mortgage-backed securities, collateralized debt, whatever it is, identify it and package them together into an electronically traded fund. And what happens then is everybody on Wall Street or any individual um, institution, fund, whatever, will have the opportunity to buy shares in that fund. So if the Treasury, as an example, um, spends $250 billion for assets and they post all those assets in an asset listing for the fund, then all three of us can go in there and buy, you know, you know let's, and they'll pick a just a whatever share price. They'll say it's $200 billion, they're, they're 10 billion shares, and they're $20 a piece. Mm-hmm. And then you, any of us can go in there and actually purchase the shares, and the shares that are purchased, that, that $20 per share goes right into the Treasury to offset what was spent by um, – through the taxpayers. And so then all of a sudden, if there really is a good market for these, Wall Street is going to recognize that, hey, these, these shares are either undervalued or overvalued, and the price will fluctuate through the real value of the assets. The important element there is twofold. One, each of us as individuals can participate so that if we recognize that this really is a good deal, we'll want, we'll want parts of it and we'll buy our shares and those shares will go from 20, 30, 40, whatever they, they're truly worth. And two, because this is in an ETF format and because you can continually buy shares as in an open end, then you immediately reduce the amount of money that comes out of the Treasury, that comes out of the taxpayer's pocket. Now, I'm pretty sure our listeners are going to send in a variety of comments, some positive and some will find really smart um, issues with this. I'll tell you two things that jump out as, as, sure. as a, that, that are on your on, actually positive for you. One is a, a big problem with this complete lack of movement of these toxic assets right now is there's only – so many institutions in the world that buy them, basically really large banks or really large pension funds, that kind of thing. Right. And all of pretty much anyone who might buy them already owns them. And that's and so they don't want to buy any more of these toxic assets. Right. And so what you're talking about, you know, Mike and I can't go out and buy one of these assets because they're 
you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to buy in. So you're talking about expanding it to the retail investor and just creating a much bigger pool of potential And we could investors. buy a tiny, tiny portion right, of it. Right. And mil- millions of us can buy, you know, one millionth of the assets. And exactly. I guess, right. So, and then the other benefit, or the other, I guess it's positive, is if it doesn't work and nobody's interested, the Treasury's sort of where they are now anyway. Well, so. Exactly, and, but it's transparent. I, I'm a huge fan of something that you have helped launch uh, just uh, over the weekend on Friday. Sure. Uh, when when did Bailout Sleuth start? Last week. Last yeah, week. We started it last week. Yeah, and and uh, I, I was getting ready to email Chris and your Chris Carey, your editor, and say, hey, what can we do together? Let's get you on our uh-huh. blog. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so explain what Bailout Sleuth is and what. Yeah, obviously, you can tell that I'm a little cynical about the government being investors with our, our taxpayer money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they the government created an oversight committee of, I think, five people that, you know, I wouldn't trust to be our regulators. They're the same regulators who got us into this mess. And so we created, um, Chris Carey and I created something called bailoutsleuth.com. And what it basically is, is I'm, on my own dime, I'm hiring several reporters to go out there and just keep an eye on what's going on with the bailout. And already things are coming to light. You know, they signed their first con- subcontractor, um, subcontractors to, to act in financial roles for the bailout. And already in the contracts, they're, they're making them available publicly, but they're redacting specific information like the rates they're paying or the actual people involved. And if this is all, you know, if they've promised complete transparency, why in the world would they redact the, the rates that they're paying? And, you know, by making this public and, and being somebody or having an organization that just monitors and babysits them continuously, I think, you know, we'll put pressure on them to increase the transparency of, of all these transactions. Thank you, Mark Cuban, for – I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, and we have linked to his blog at npr.org slash money. That's our blog, by the way. His blog is bailoutsleuth.com. Uh, they – Looked into one of the very first contracts that Treasury uh, set to to uh, associate with the seven hundred billion dollar bailout, and found that a lot. I mean, this is just a a, a business contract yeah. that is basically the taxpayers hiring um, the Bank of New York Mellon to to take part in this uh, seven hundred billion dollar bailout. So sort of like we hired them, and it is redacted like a CIA secret prisons document. I yeah. mean, you, you see the contract on the Treasury website and it's just completely, half of it is just completely blacked out. For example, there's no sign uh, of how much we're paying Bank of New York Mellon. It says so-and-so shall be paid and then somebody just got the magic marker out. And and crossed it out. It's pretty amazing. I'm really excited about this new blog, uh, the bailoutsleuth.com. I, I hope they keep digging up some great stuff like this, and we'll keep linking to them if they do. And uh, I also like Mark's personal blog. It's kind of interesting. He has a very unique point of view. That's blogmaverick.com. And that's another day on Planet Money. We're online at npr.org slash money. Send pictures of the economy as you see it around you. And go to npr.org slash money. And look, I just put a shout out there. We're doing the first of what we hope will be a regular feature, The Economist House Call. Simon Johnson of BaselineScenario.com and the former chief economist of the IMF, also of MIT and all sorts of distinguished things, is going to help us assess your place in the global economy. And I don't mean you in a vague sense. I mean you specifically. If you go to npr.org slash money and tell us a little bit about you, we'll 
maybe pick you to call you Friday morning and assess your place in the global economy. I'm Adam Davidson. I'm Laura Conaway. Thanks for listening. <laughs>